Melton Town, Natalie, by Ivory Harlow. I, Tally tossed the hundredth head of cabbage into the harvest bin. She started the morning wearing thick gloves, but the gloves made it impossible to cut the stem off at the sweet spot, just below the head. She removed the gloves and now her frozen hands looked as blue as her eyes. Tally held them to her mouth and tried to warm them with her breath. So much for global warming, she thought. Either New York was getting colder or she was becoming less hardy to the frigid temperature. Tally tucked stray blonde hairs under her beanie, then hoisted the full bend to her hip in a single swoop. Her five feet three inches frame may look fragile, but eight years of farm labor had made her body and spirit strong. Tally had always been a tomboy. She grew up in New York's Hudson Valley, a fertile area with plentiful farms and orchards. The scenic river and rolling hills were her playground. As a child, she favored climbing trees to playing with dolls. French shortened her feminine, French birth name Natalie to the nickname Tally. It stuck. Tally was two years into a bachelor's in science degree in environmental studies when she got fed up with spending more time exposed to the blue light of her laptop than natural sunlight. She couldn't bear the thought of two more years cooped up on SUNY's residential campus, so she dropped out of school. Tally took a job as a vegetable apprentice on a farm in upstate New York. Since then, she had worked on various Hudson Valley farms as a field hand, cider maker, and, most recently, the Community Supported Agriculture, CSA, manager of Black Cherry Organic Farm. Black Cherry CSA was a year-round operation. This December, Tally had been harvesting radish, beets, greens, cabbage, carrots, garlic, herbs, parsnips, and potatoes from the farm's network of low tunnels, cold frames, and hoop houses. The CSA served 200 customers, mostly professional families from surrounding cities. Shares cost $1,650 a year, which ironically, made a share unaffordable for the people like her, who actually grew the food. Tally made $14 an hour, she was eligible for food stamps. Government cheese wasn't her dietary preference, so she lived off farm seconds, misshapen produce with bruises and blemishes, and eggs from the farm's free-range chickens. Her less-than-living-wage salary also meant she could not afford New York rent. Her boss allowed her to park and live in her camper van on Black Cherry Farm for free. Besides expensive rent, New York's electric costs were the highest in the nation. It cost Tally $100 a month to keep the van 60 degrees in winter. The van was nicer than the studio apartments that her co-workers rented in town. She had a full-size bed and a kitchenette with everything she needed to prepare fresh vegetarian food. The van's modular shower left a lot to be desired, but the farm's unheated maintenance building had a shower she could use in the warm weather months, since she left university with a dream to live off-grid on her own land. She started working in agriculture to learn about self-sufficiency. She bought the van to learn to live cheaply and save money to purchase property. It was supposed to be temporary. But here she was, surrounded by hundreds of heads of cabbage, working her ass off on someone else's land, for someone else's benefit, nearly ten years later. She had saved some money, but nowhere near the price of a few acres in New York's Hudson Valley. You should look for land out west. New Mexico, Wyoming, Texas. Land costs a fraction of what it costs here, Ted, a black cherry seasonal worker, suggested. Those places are barren, aren't they? I've never been. Tally admitted. 
She did not fit the Instagram image of a 20-something bandweller, living her best life on the road. In fact, she'd never driven the van outside the borders of New York State. Most people that lived on wheels spent most of their time traveling. Baron, yes. But Baron has unique beauty. Plus, the price of land and the warm weather sure beats this, Ted said as they shivered in the produce wash and sort facility. His suggestion piqued Tally's interest. After they completed CSA pickups, she went to the farm office, turned the propane heater on high, and browsed the internet for land for sale in the states Ted mentioned. Tally flipped through hundreds of images of desert mountain terrain. Ted was right, the land was raw and beautiful. Tally bookmarked a listing for 20 acres of raw land in a place called Mountain Town, thinking the price of $19,500 must be a mistake. The description read. Beautifully situated at the base of a mesa, this 20-acre parcel is partially brush-covered with mature mesquite trees and thick native grasses. Deer, elk, javelina, and quail are abundant. Located outside the city limits of Mountain Town, five miles off Ranch Road, the property is secluded and private. No restrictions. On a whim, she copied the address from the website and pasted it into the county auditor's CED search. The market value was on par. She confirmed there were no improvements to the property, electricity, well, septic, though she could obtain permits for all the above. Mineral rights were in place. Dedicated to the task, Tally brought up satellite imagery of the property on Google Earth. She could see where the turnoff from the highway onto Ranch Road. She zoomed on the mesa. It was magnificent. She imagined opening the back doors of the van to that view. Enjoying her morning coffee or a beer after a long hot day working her land, Tally reopened the tab with the listing. Her eyes rested on the price. She could pay cash. Her pulse quickened at the idea. Everything about it felt right. She scanned the website for the realtor's number, picked up her cell phone and dialed. Two. Two weeks later, Tally kissed Buttercup on the nose and stroked the horse's soft champagne gold coat. Goodbye girl. Buttercup was Tally's favorite of the two American cream draft horses on Black Cherry Farm. Farming with livestock instead of a tractor like she was used to had intimidated Tally when she started at Black Cherry, but she caught on quickly and had grown to prefer traditional horsepower. Buttercup and partner Primrose were as efficient as a tractor, but caused less soil compaction, and unlike fuel emissions, their waste benefited the farm's soil fertility. The horses were the closest thing to a pet Tally had in her adult life. She enjoyed their companionship and company. Tally had learned a lot about caring for livestock during her time at Black Cherry, including how much work and money it took to keep them. She considered getting a horse or two of her own when she got to Mountain Town, but maybe a cat or dog would make a better companion, at least until she got the place fenced and some permanent structures built. The farm couple that owned Black Cherry and Tally's co-workers were waiting by Tally's van to give her a grand send-off. Thanks for all your hard work. Her boss said and handed her an envelope. This is from all of us. The envelope contained cash. You guys didn't have to do that, she said with gratitude. Thank you all. Look me up if you're ever in my new neck of the woods. Be careful what you wish for. We may knock at your door in Mountain Town sooner rather than later the farmer's wife warned. The almanac predicts above-average snowfall and below-average temperatures across the northeast, including Hudson Valley, through March. That's a great idea. 
I could use all your help to put up hoop houses, she joked, remembering the team effort it took to replace the plastic over Black Cherry's hoop houses in fall. In that case, we are staying far away. The group laughed together one last time before Tally got behind the wheel. Tally watched them go back to work in the fields as she drove away. She had poured everything she had into the farm while she was there. Yet she found it easy to leave, knowing Black Cherry would go on without her. She thought the same thing about New York as she crossed the border into Pennsylvania. Tally had spent her entire life there. She imagined returning in 10 or 20 years and not recognizing it. Mountain Town is home now, Tally thought. She took a deep breath to console herself for the loss, then opened the weather app on her phone and deleted Hudson Valley, New York, from its memory. 3. 32 hours, 7 states, and 2,175 miles, was no joke. Tally aimed to break the trip into three days, 10 hours of drive time each day. Day 1 skirted around Columbus, Ohio, to spend the night in Alum Creek Campground. There were only a few campers in the off-season. There weren't campers on either side of her. It was as if she had the place, including the tranquil, meandering Alum Creek, to herself. She rarely sat down during her days as a farm worker. Today's ten-hour drive made her back ache and legs cramp. A walk along the creek would do her good before going to bed. There was no snow on the ground in Ohio, but the air was moist and cold. The chill smelled like earth and would smoke. Tally was glad she had not given her heavy Carhartt work jacket to a farmhand, even though she doubted she'd need it in Mountain Town's mild winters. The tree branches were bare in December, except for the beech trees, which hung on to their white papery leaves all winter. Tally was admiring them when she swore she saw one moving along the creek bank in the distance. As she neared the moving tree, she realized it was a medium-sized dog. It had a pale yellow coat and erect ears. Hey pup, she tested, unsure if the dog was aggressive. It wagged its tail and took a step towards her. It was an attractive dog, though too thin. The dog had a coal-black nose and what looked like a ring of dark eyeliner around her almond-shaped eyes. Tally bent to the dog's eye level and reached out her hand. The dog trotted over happily. It was a female and did not have a collar. Follow me, Tally stood and motioned for the dog. She trailed behind Tally to the campground office. Tally went inside while the dog jumped on the bench in front and watched her through the window. Excuse me, she said to the woman who had checked in her rig earlier. Do you know if any of the campers on site are traveling with a dog? I found one down by the creek. That's a stray. The woman said. She's been hanging around the campground for a couple of weeks. People have been feeding her, the woman scowled. Campers don't think about what happens to the strays when they move out, they become our problem, Tally ignored the woman's whining. She's a friendly dog. Oh yes. Sweet girl, the lady said. I'll call the dog warden for a pickup on Monday. Won't do any good to call now. He doesn't work weekends. Is the local pound a no-kill shelter? Tally asked. To be honest, I'm not sure. I know they do adoptions, but I don't know the procedure if dogs don't find a home, the woman answered. Tally turned her attention to the doggy in the window. The dog cocked her head as if she'd been eavesdropping on their conversation. Thanks for the info, Tally said. Enjoy your stay tonight, and safe travels tomorrow. Tally returned to her van. The dog pranced behind her, picking up a pine cone and pressing it into Tally's hand. 
Can you play catch? Tally tossed the cone. The dog ran after it, picked it up and continued walking. Catch means bringing it back to me, Tally chuckled. Oh well, magnificent effort. She said as the girl bounded in front of her. Tally opened the van's back door and stepped inside. Her good conscience wouldn't let her close out the dog, completely, so she left the door slightly ajar, for the dog, to come inside. It didn't. Instead, it sat on the gravel outside and stuck its head in the door, watching her. Tally started to cook rice on the van's single burner, and took veggies out of the fridge to make a simple stir-fry. I bet you're hungry, she said to the dog, watching her keenly. Tally felt a pang of guilt as she remembered the campground owner complaining about campers feeding the strays, but she'd feel more guilty for letting the animal go hungry. I don't eat meat, sorry, she told the dog as she set a generous helping of buttered rice, before the dog. The van floor was level with the dog's head sticking through the door. The sight of the head gobbling up the food without coming inside the van made her giggle. Tally picked up the empty plate and washed it and the rest of the dishes in the van's small sink. The dog watched her intently, but still made no motion to come inside. I have to close the door tonight. I can't heat the campground, Tally apologized to the dog. The dog backed out as Tally closed the door. Good night. Tally had a hard time falling asleep, knowing the dog was out in the cold. She consoled her conscience, telling herself she'd done her due diligence by checking with the campground owner, given the dog a warm meal, and invited it to warm up in her home. Tally wasn't religious, and rarely prayed, but talking to a higher power was the only thing that made her feel better now. She laid in her bed and looked up at the frosty night sky, through the van window. If the dog is still around in the morning, I'll take her. If she's gone, I'll trust you're looking after her. The promise was enough to let Tally fall asleep. 4. It was dark outside when Tally woke the next morning. Years of early morning farm chores trained Tally to not sleep in despite how tired she felt. Best to get an early start on the road anyway, she thought. Tally's goal for the day was to drive through Indiana, Illinois, and Missouri. She rolled out of bed and opened the van door. No dog. She scanned the cold and quiet campground. The only creatures she could make out were a few does grazing frosty grass and drinking from Alum Creek. It's for the best the dog moved on, she tried to convince herself but her heart felt disappointed. The campground had heated shower facilities with more space and better water pressure than her van's compact shower. She gathered towels and toiletries, donned a coat over her pajamas, and walked the short distance towards the shower house. The pre-dawn air was frigid. She pulled her hands into her coat sleeves and accidentally dropped a bottle of shampoo. She pulled a flashlight from her pocket to find where it had landed. Instead, she shined the light on the dog, standing a few feet behind her, bottle in mouth. Hey girl. Where did you come from? Tally was delighted to see the dog. She leaned over and petted her. The dog wove between her legs, equally gleeful about their reunion. Come on, Tally said and returned to the van for additional towels and detergent. If you're coming with me, you need a bath. I don't want to smell a stinky dog all the way to Mountain Town. Tally snuck the dog into the shower facility. It took three shampoos and scrubbing for the water to run clean. She dried the dog's thick coat with towels, then laid a clean towel under the wall dryers and set them to blow warm air on the dog while she showered herself. The dog looked content when she emerged from the shower stall, dried herself off and dressed.
She noticed that the dog's fluffed coat was a few shades lighter, sans dust and dirt. Your fur is the same color as Buttercup's coat, she smiled at the memory of the horse. The dog perked up at the name. I'll call you Buttercup, after her. The dog waged to settle it. Tally gathered the load of dirty towels, then she and Buttercup walked the short distance to the laundry facility. They retreated to the van for breakfast while the laundry was underway. Tally's typical fare was oatmeal. She made a double portion to share with the dog. Sorry, she said, wholly aware her vegetarian lifestyle wasn't a good nutritional fit for a carnivore. We'll stop and get dog food today. The dog didn't seem to mind the meatless meal. At least you're not picky. Tally stopped at a PetSmart on her way through Indianapolis. She saw shoppers and their dogs walk into the store, so at Buttercup's insistence, she allowed her to come along on the shopping trip. She didn't own a leash yet, and braced herself for a scolding from the store clerk. But Buttercup acted so cautious, staying so close to her as she wove through the aisle that no one said a word. Tally tried a few collars on Buttercup before she found the perfect fit. She selected a matching leather leash to use at truck stops and campgrounds for the duration of their travel. You won't need one when we get to our land, Tally promised. The dog food aisle had an overwhelming number of brands. This is worse than people's food. Tally scanned the packages promising non-GMO, grain-free, and reading warning labels does not contain artificial flavors, colors, or preservatives. She grabbed a big bag of something on sale and headed for the checkout, tossing a pack of chews and a ball into the cart, recalling Buttercup's play with the pinecone. Another couple days on the road and she'd have wide open spaces to throw it. V. Tally's stomach flip-flopped with anticipation as she turned the van onto Ranch Road. She'd purchased the property without stepping foot on it, though the realtor had sent her a virtual tour, survey, and topography maps to ease Tally's concerns about purchasing it, sight unseen. Tally had explored the 360 video so many times that the plot looked familiar. She parked next to the property marker and parked. Welcome home, Buttercup. The dog wagged with anticipation to get out of the van. Let's go explore. I could get used to 60 degrees in December, Tally thought. The weather was starkly different from the New York and even Ohio winters they were used to. Tally filled a backpack with water and a bowl for Buttercup, printed maps, and the satellite GPS she'd bought for the occasion. The relator warned her the nearest Wi-Fi was in Mountain Town, and area cell service was spotty at best. They headed south from the corner property marker, with an intention of walking the perimeter of the 20-acre property before checking out the interior. The sky was clear and electric blue. Soil in the limestone basin was light and chalky, nothing like the Hudson Valley's dark silt loam. She reached down, scooped up a handful and let the gritty sand run through her fingers like a looking glass. In contrast, she remembered New York soil feeling flowery and moist. Nothing, absolutely nothing, was going to grow here without raised beds and irrigation. She saw further evidence of that fact in the scrubby cactus-dominated landscape. As a lifelong New Yorker, she was under the false impression that cacti were a single species, tall and green with two arms at 90 degrees. She didn't see any that looked like that on her property. However, she saw at least a dozen other types, thick cactus, skinny cactus, big and tiny cactus, round, barrel, and paddle-shaped cactus. 
Their colors ranged from vibrant green to dull gray-green, blue, and purple. Buttercup inched towards them, curiously. Careful girl. Tally warned. One interaction is all it would take for Buttercup to learn not to nose a cactus, but she didn't want her to learn the hard way, or spend the afternoon pulling cactus spines out of Buttercup's face. They located the back corner property marker and turned to walk along the back property line when Tally noticed a man on an ATV driving over the hill towards them. She hadn't considered it might be dangerous for a young woman to walk alone on the uninhabited land. She looked around. The scrub brush and cactus were no cover. It was too late to hide anyway, and there was no way she could outrun an ATV. All she could do was hope he was amiable, though his rough appearance and the frown on his face suggested otherwise. He shifted down as he approached them. Tally eyed Buttercup for signs of wariness of the stranger. Though Buttercup was a good-natured dog, she growled protectively when people passed too close to the van when they stopped to fuel up or camp. The man parked a few yards from them and idled the engine. Howdy. His words may have been friendly, but his tone wasn't. He did not dismount from the ATV or extend his hand. Hello. Tally returned the greeting with equal skepticism. She'd let him introduce himself first. He was, after all, on her property. I saw your van from the hill, he nodded his head in the direction from which he came. An old Stetson cowboy hat shaded his face from a clear view, but tilting his head had given her a glimpse of his features. He had light blue eyes and, and a dark, unkempt beard. The beard and layer of dust that covered him made it hard to guess how old he was, but his straight, square shoulders and well-muscled body suggested mid-thirties. That's my van, she confirmed. This is my property. Tally wasn't about to let him bully her. Oh, he seemed surprised. I didn't know the acreage sold. It was on the market for a few months. I've caught people lurkin' around, wanderin' onto my property accidentally, he emphasized the word accidentally. I can show you my deed if you doubt me. Not necessary, he dismissed her. She held up her GPS I have the perimeter coordinates. So far, it's clearly marked. I know where my property ends and yours begins. She cleared her throat and pointed to the property line, which he'd crossed over by a considerable distance. His eyes followed her finger, unapologetically. Some nerve, Tally thought, catching another glimpse of his eyes. They were cool as ice. I homestead on 100 acres over the hill. The folks that own the parcel on the other side glamp in their luxury RV, twice a year. The choice of words made clear he wasn't a fan of opulent lifestyles. Tally was not a fan of his self-importance, which showed itself in both a proud and insulting way. But, she reminded herself, the man was her only neighbor. Tally took a few steps towards his ATV, closing the distance between them and reaching out her hand. I'm Tally. This is my dog, Buttercup. Jeb. Jed? Jeb. Christian name, Jebediah. But nobody has ever called me that. Jeb, she repeated. She felt compelled to tell him her real name is Natalie, but he injected a question. Y'all plan to use this land recreationally? No. I'm going to live on it. Good luck with that, he smirked, thinking she wouldn't last the week. Asshole, she thought, but smiled sweetly and said, thank you, instead. Six. Least 700 feet, the man from the well-drilling company said. The name, Justin emblazoned on his Mountain Town Water Systems work shirt. You're looking at 20k. 
for a well? Tally's jaw dropped. The internet said $6,000. Don't believe everything you read on the internet, Justin advised. Water availability depends on local geology and water levels. You've got two things working against you. Beneath this sand, Justin kicked the dust, is thick rock. That coupled with the fact that our aquifer is minor and is in underground basins. The average thickness of basins is 600 to 800 feet, and it's not stellar quality, so we have to dig deep enough to avoid contamination. He might as well be speaking a foreign language. Tally felt foolish for not consulting an expert before purchasing the property. Then she would have known what to expect and budgeted accordingly. Her face reddened with embarrassment. Justin could tell she felt humiliated by her flushed skin and silence. Don't beat yourself up, he said with sympathy. You're new around here. Where are you from? New York. You drill 50 feet in New York and have a geyser. There is no way you'd have a heads up on groundwater here, unless you're a hydrologist, he joked. Tally was not a hydrologist. But she wasn't letting herself off the hook so easily. She'd taken geology and chemistry classes as an undergrad. Have you thought about electricity to run the well pump? The nearest pole is five miles back on the highway. A traditional well pump needed electricity. She had not thought of that. Stupid, 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 she scolded herself. What do you recommend? The county won't run poles to you in your lifetime. So photovoltaic solar panels are your best bet for a reliable supply of grid-free electricity to power the pump. You'll also need a storage tank and grounding, and Tally tuned his voice out as he listed the additional expenses required for running water. She could only hold back the tears because she saw Jeb barreling down the hill on his ATV. The last thing she wanted to do was show defeat in front of Lordly Jebediah. How the hell have you been, Justin? He engaged the well driller in a friendly and forceful handshake. Live in the dream Jeb. Haven't seen you at the roost lately. We were worried you shriveled up and died out here by your lonesome. Nah, Jeb laughed. Got me a new neighbor. I see that. We were just talking about drilling her well. Or not, Tally thought. She'd never be able to afford it. A life of buying bottled water to drink and hauling the reconditioned 275-gallon tote tank to town once a week for non-potable washing water flashed before her eyes. It was already getting old. Jeb turned to Tally. My well is 800 feet and can pump 3,000 gallons, not that I'd ever come close to using that. My tank is elevated, he pointed to the hill where Tally could faintly make out a cistern. Pressure is excellent. Good for you, Tally said without a hint of congratulation. Buttercup had been relaxing in the shade of a juniper nearby. She stood, stretched, and moseyed over to Jeb, to solicit pets. He bent down and itched her in her favorite spot. Now she was laying at his feet like they were the best of friends. Traitor. Tally glared at Buttercup. We don't like him. Buttercup rolled over, exposing her soft, white tummy. Jeb cooed over her. It seemed Jeb was in cahoots with everyone. Thanks for the quote, Justin. I need to think about it. Tally brought the conversation back to her well. Okay then. Justin turned to Jeb and put a heavy hand on his shoulder. See you around man, he said before getting in his work truck. Jeb stood before Justin took off to avoid the dust the truck would inevitably kick up. Buttercup sneezed in its aftermath, then trotted off back to the shade of the juniper tree.
Come on, I'll show you my well, he stated more than asked. That's okay. I get the gist. No really. It's the single biggest investment you'll make to move out here permanently, Jeb stated, as if she wasn't already a permanent fixture. His comment annoyed Tally. Heck, everything the man did and said annoyed Tally. Jeb walked over to the ATV and patted the back. Climb aboard, he invited. He drove slower with a passenger, yet the ride was still thrilling. She'd never been on an ATV. The winter wind in her hair made her feel wild and free. She didn't want to admit it, but she enjoyed being saddled up to the man. Her arms didn't reach around his broad chest, so she clung to his jacket. He smelled like cold air and sawdust. At least the invitation to tour, his well set up, gave her an excuse to see his homestead. She was tempted to peek over the hill, but nervous, he'd catch her spying. He always seemed to know where she was and what she was doing on her property. Jeb started the tour at his cistern tank on the hill. The vantage point allowed her to see her van on one side and his homestead on the other. He explained the benefits of an elevated tank and described how water routed down to his homestead. Is your cabin adobe? Tally pointed to the small square home at the base of the hill. Papercrete, Jeb, corrected. Seeing the word didn't register with her, he added, a mix of waste paper, cement, and water. I built it. You built it, by yourself? Tally asked, impressed. I did. He beamed with pride, then said, Type 2 fun. What do you mean? Type 1 fun is fun while it is happening. Type 2 fun sucks when it's happening, but you remember it being fun five years later, when you're standing on a hillside admiring your handiwork, he explained. It's amazing, Tally said. He didn't need his ego stoked, but the homestead looked worthy of off-grid magazine. She could only imagine the work that went into it. 150 loads of papercrete, over 1,000 bricks, he said, as if reading her mind. I'll show you the wellsite, solar array, then the cabin? Yes. This time Tally didn't hide her enthusiasm. They stopped at the wellsite, then the solar array. He described how the photovoltaic panels powered the pump and his home. The house was a simple square, 28 feet on each side. It's just under 800 square feet, Jeb opened the door and ushered Tally inside. She stepped into an open living room slash kitchen. Light flooded through a large window in the living room, and another in front of the kitchen sink. The living room was completely empty, except for the warm sunlight cast on the polished concrete floor. The kitchen had knotted pine cabinets, a handcrafted pine table with two matching chairs. Tally ran her hand over the smooth pine, admiring the custom work. Did you make this? Yes, Jeb said sheepishly. The cabinets too? The cabinets too, he said. Someday, I'll get around to making furniture for the other rooms. That explained the empty living room. Tally followed Jeb towards the back of the house. The queen-size bed filled the space. There was a small stool next to it to use as a nightstand. This is a closet, he said, pulling a canvas curtain aside. It held a rack of clothes and shelves of towels, spare linens, guns, and stockpiled ammunition. The only room with a door was the bathroom. He pushed it ajar. It was larger than Tally expected. A real toilet. She put her hand to her heart. Almost. It's a composting toilet, he corrected her. The bathroom vanity matched the pine cabinets in the kitchen. The smooth surface cradled a hammered copper sink. 
Tally turned the water on and fought an urge to wash her hands for the heck of it. How I miss running water. She sighed and turned her attention to the huge, round tub in the corner. It's a solar hot tub. It preheats domestic hot water, so I can also use it for supplementary heat in winter, Jeb explained. I have an outdoor shower behind the house that I use most of the year. Jeb had positioned a panel of glass block windows behind the tub. Looks like the perfect place to soak after a long day, Tally swooned. Her van's compact shower was only good for washing the stink off. She craved the feeling of being squeaky clean. At the risk of sounding creepy, you are welcome to use it whenever you want, Jeb smiled. Careful or I might drain your tank, Tally warned. Impossible. That's a 2,000-gallon cistern. I use 30 gallons on a heavy day. I sized up the well capacity and solar. I'm going to build a huge woodworking workshop, and I'll need the extra water and energy to do what I want to do. Good that you had the foresight. Tally felt a pang of envy. Why so somber? Jeb noticed she'd changed her tone. She thought about shrugging him off, but he'd been so open to sharing his home that Tally felt compelled to tell him the truth. I didn't know a well would cost so much. There is no way I can afford it, Tally sighed. There are ways to make it cheaper. Like a hand-powered water supply. The right infrastructure will be in place to upgrade later, Jeb suggested. I guess that'd beat refilling my portable tank in town. Jeb shook his head. A portable tank isn't even type 2 fun. How did you afford all this? I know you did the work yourself, but 100 acres of land, the well, solar, building materials. Tally motioned towards the ATV, truck and trailer parked on the property to imply those things cost too. I was in the army, special forces, for six years. Green Beret? That's right. I saved every cent from my salary and hazardous duty pay from multiple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. I bought this land to come home to after completing my military service. Tally assumed Jeb saw his fair share of action as a Green Beret during wartime. His stoicism made sense to her now. Perhaps what she perceived to be arrogance was actually a shield to keep others at bay. He continued, I got my honorable discharge, packed my few belongings in my truck, and drove straight here from Fort Carson, Colorado. I told you I've lived on the property for five years, but I bought it ten years ago, intending to move right in. I didn't even have a camper. Just a tent in the bed of my truck. Like you, I had good intentions, but off-grid living proved to be a lot more expensive than I expected, he explained. Materials for the house were nearly $14,000. I thought up some ways to save money on the construction like skipping the conventional truss roof or skipping windows, but ultimately I wanted to build something I will be happy in as a permanent home. So I put the project on hold and went to work in the oil fields for a few years to save some more cash. Tally was on the edge of her seat. She felt a surge of determination to make her dream a reality the way he had made his. I worked a 14-7 work schedule, 14 days straight and then 7 days off. I came here to work during my downtime. It took 3 years working on it part-time and 2 years working on it full-time to make the homestead into what you see today. And to be honest, I barely scratched the surface of what I want this place to be. Tally was about to ask Jeb what he wanted the place to be when he disclosed. I still work a few days a week doing custom carpentry. I see your truck headed down ranch road some mornings, Tally admitted. Right now, I'm making custom cabinets for a billionaire rancher in Mountain Town. 
I'd be content designing and building cabinets and furniture for a living, but I can do builds, remodels, basic residential projects. That's why you're planning to build a workshop? Tally pieced together the conversation. I didn't see any carpenter tools outside, they are at the job site right now. The rancher lets me use his barn to make the cabinets. When the workshop is done, I can take measurements and then do the work here. He explained. Want to know a secret? His eyes twinkled. I typically store my tools in the living room, he pointed to the empty space. Bachelor pad, Tally laughed. You really need that workshop. Already got it in my mind's eye. He tapped his temple. It's a matter of time and money. Which is exactly my point in telling you all this. Don't let the cost discourage you. If you want to live off-grid, you'll find a way. It might take longer and cost more than you thought, but I'm living proof it's worth it. Thanks for the pep talk. I needed it. What are neighbors for? Jeb smiled and put a hand on her shoulder. Tally smiled back. 7. Jeb was coming up his drive as Tally filled her portable tank at his spigot. He offered her free use of his water until she figured out how to afford her own well. She was diffident when he offered a shame to accept the help. It's a hell of a lot cheaper and saves you a trip to town and back, he insisted. Secretly, Tally liked the standing invitation to come over whenever she wanted, and Jeb always seemed pleased to see her. Buttercup had taken to freely wandering between their properties. When Buttercup saw Jeb's truck pull up, she wagged and circled it. Howdy, neighbor, Tally called when he emerged with a smile. What's all that in the trailer? Tools. Finished the job today. Are you moving them back to the living room? For now. I'll help carry them in, she offered. Jeb took the heavier saws, but allowed her to carry lighter loads. That was a big job. Does it feel good to be done? She made small talk as they passed one another with saws and levels. It's rewarding when the customer loves the finished product. They loved it? The billionaire's wife loved it. That's what really matters. Happy wife, happy life, I guess, he shrugged. He gave me a bonus. Jeb patted the check in his pocket. I'm meeting some friends at the roost to celebrate tonight. Do you want to come, the roost? Tally remembered Justin mentioning the place. The roost is the local watering hole. It always has a crowd and cold beer. They bring in bands on the weekends. Sounds fun, Tally said, but she didn't have the extra cash for a night out. My treat. Jeb urged her. Buttercup can hang out at the house while we are in town so you don't have to leave her in the van. Cold beer and babysitting, you've given me every reason to go, she agreed. It was dark when Jeb pulled into the roost's gravel parking lot. A menagerie of blue, red, and green spotlights lit the porch. Tally New Mountain Town is a certified dark sky area, which explained the odd choice of lighting, and gave the bar an extraterrestrial vibe. Jeb struggled to find a parking spot. Full house, Tally commented. Always on Friday night. Jeb wasn't rattled. Tally, on the other hand, felt a surge of social anxiety. Aside from interacting with an occasional store clerk when she went to town, she hadn't spent considerable time around people, other than Jeb, since she left New York four months ago. Jed opened the door and ushered her inside. After you. The roost had a rustic wood floor and cracked stucco walls. A long bar ran along the length of the building. Dozens of drinkers stood at the bar. 
Others sat at round pub tables, drinking beer and sharing appetizers. A country band rocked the stage. The atmosphere was warm and inviting. Tally took a deep breath and let her guard down. Jeb bought them a couple of long-necked dosakis at the bar, before making the rounds to friends and acquaintances to introduce Tally. Do you know everyone in this place? The ease with which he worked the room surprised Tally. The Jeb she knew was an introverted lone wolf. Most of them, he chuckled. Tally rarely drank. One beer had her feeling fuzzy. Jeb had put away a few beers. She could tell he was also feeling a buzz. He was flirting with a blonde he'd introduced as Brittany. Tally recognized her type. The quintessential party girl who drank her weight in margaritas by 11 p.m. She draped herself on Jeb whenever she got the chance, and on any other warm-blooded man when he wasn't available. Jeb said y'all are next-door neighbors, and that you're from NYC. Brittany shimmied over to Tally. I own the property next to his, Tally clarified. Though she supposed her van had a door, she was sure it wasn't the home Brittany imagined. I'm from Hudson Valley, not New York City. I want to visit the city. Brittany ignored Tally's correction. World-famous shopping. Tally eyed Brittany's crop top and tight-fitting jeans, thinking Brittany would stand out like a sore thumb on Fifth Avenue. I love this song. Brittany changed the topic when the band started a rock cover. Let's dance, she grabbed Tally's hand and led her to the floor. Tally tried to pull back, but Brittany insisted and before she knew it, she flashed back to her days as a college undergrad. She quit caring if she looked stupid. Tally twirled and sang along with the band. She thought to pull Jeb onto the floor and scan the line of men at the bar. When she spotted him, his eyes were already fixed on her. Suddenly, a sloppy cowboy cut between her and the girls. He grabbed Tally's arm and spun her around, forcing her to dance with him. He behaved at first, then started getting handsy, grabbing her and pulling her body too close to his. Tally pulled back to put some distance between them. The smell of B.O. and beer breath made her gag. He took hold of Tally's wrist. She shot him a warning look. He acted like he got the message, backing off and relaxing his grip on her. He shrugged apologetically. Tally was about to forgive and forget when he pulled her in for a hard, unwanted kiss. She pushed his chest away, but five foot three inches of her was no match for over six feet of him. Within seconds, she felt the cowboy being ripped off her. What the hell, man? Jeb's voice challenged him. What's it to you? He shoved Jeb backwards. Jeb swung his fist, hitting the cowboy in the jaw. The cowboy stumbled, knocking over a chair as he fell flat on the dance floor. He bounded up on Jeb. Jeb swung again. Someone screamed. Glass broke. Friends rushed in and pulled the men apart. Blood seeped from the cowboy's split brow. He limped away, shouting obscenities at Jeb. F you. Jeb shouted back. He stood with his chest puffed out, breathing heavily, blood streaming from his nose. Tally rushed to his side. Can we go now? She asked softly, taking his arm. Jeb nodded. They were quiet the first few minutes of the drive home. Jeb wiped blood from his nose on his shirt sleeve. Don't do that, Tally said, pulling a napkin from her pocket and handing it to Jeb. Thanks. I'm the one who needs to thank you, she said. I'm sorry. It wasn't your fault. That guy was a dick. 
He was a dick, she agreed, but I'm sorry you had to get involved. I ruined your celebration. No, you didn't. I had a great night. Tally shook her head. A great night, cut short by me. I've never seen you so sociable. You were getting cozy with Brittany. She's a walking health hazard. You did me a favor, he joked. Tally's frown did not fade. Brittany is the life of the party, but I'm not interested. I'm sorry, nevertheless. I've been nothing but trouble for you since you met me, Tally stared out the passenger window. Wait just a second, Tally. Life was dull before I met you in Buttercup. Every day felt like waking up on repeat. Y'all light up the landscape, Tally continued to stare out the window, doubtful. Jeb reached over and patted her leg. Look at me. She did. And when she did, her heart skipped a beat. His words described exactly how she felt about him. Today when I came home from work and y'all were there, I thought I could get used to this. I invited you out with me tonight for an excuse to spend more time with you. You haven't caused me any trouble. You've reminded me how good life can be. Jeb reached for Tally's hand. His hand felt big, warm, and safe. I've felt discouraged so many times. You're the only reason I haven't given up. The truck headlights reflected off Jeb's front window as they pulled up and parked. Jeb walked around the truck, opened the passenger door, and took Tally in his arms. Don't give up. I promise you, we can do it together. He kissed her forehead and then her mouth. Buttercup barely lifted her head off the floor as when they entered the house. She waged sleepily to let them know she was content to stay in for the night. Tally was content to stay in too, in Jeb's embrace. 9. Tally sold the van. They used some of the money to build two large hoop houses, with a water catchment and irrigation system. The hoop house enabled Tally to grow fresh food year-round. She signed Green Beret Gardens up as a vendor at the Mountain Town Farmer's Market. She couldn't wait to debut their fresh and organic produce. They used the rest of the money to erect a 26-by-35-foot workshop next to the house. They splurged on a poured concrete floor, double bays, and a ventilation system. The billionaire rancher's wife sent all her friends to Jeb for custom builds and remodels. As a result, he was making a good living designing and building cabinets and furniture. Buttercup haggled Jeb into taking breaks from work to throw her ball out the workshop bay doors. She still didn't always bring it back, but her fetch game was improving a little every day.